and welcome to the Motor Mouth Podcast with Harry Benjamin and Tim Sylvie. This is the place where we meet some of the biggest names in and around motorsport, chat about their lives and everything in between. This week we are joined by James William Walker, who you'll know as car YouTuber sensation Mr. JWW with one of the biggest YouTube platforms in the car world. He joined to chat about his career beginnings, swapping a house deposit for a car, overcoming some speech difficulties and he even chucked in a couple of exclusives. Thank you so much to you guys who continue to download and listen. If you like it, please do leave us a review. It really helps us to get bigger and enjoy. A very warm welcome to episode 30 of the Motormouth podcast. We're recording this on Monday, the 1st of June. Before we introduce today's guest, I have to dive through the airwaves all the way east to the English county of Essex, where I find the man who is not only my fellow podcast presenter, but is now the face of MMTV on YouTube. Yes, we've started releasing weekly videos hosted by my lofty colleague, so make sure you go and check those out. They can also be found on our lovely app, which is available from your app store. We've got various interviews there already with the likes of F1 legend David Coulthard and of course Crofty the modern day voice of Formula One we've got opinion pieces and news on global motorsport happenings fill your boots ladies and gents right back to my bearded colleague Harry how are you? I'm very well Tim thank you very much I've actually I've just found out tonight that I'm going to be an uncle oh, how amazing is that? I know Congratulations. I know. I know. I'm too young to be an uncle, though. I'm not having. I'm not happy about it. Yeah, not, this, I'm too young. you get grey hairs soon. That's what kids do to you. <laughs> Already got them. Um, um, what's yeah, been happening? Apart from that, it's uh, ticking along nicely. Um, I had a, the quite possibly the best barbecue in the world on Sunday, literally fully stocked with everything, and it was incredible. My brother uh, did it, so um, uh, so fair play to him. He can he can really run a barbecue. Nice. Well, um, not much news to report here. Obviously, we had some good news recently when we uh, we checked the iTunes, not the iTunes, the Apple charts for podcasts and found ourselves number four on number the four, yeah. sports news category, which is amazing. So the, 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 uh, the listens continue to go up, and um, hitting number four, is great obviously we want to get to number one but that's a big achievement for us I'm very pleased with that and I think it said on the all-time sports news category number 10 so amazing thank you to all our listeners um, for making that happen I I don't think Harry or I thought we would get that high when we first started out Um, so many many thanks to everyone that continues to download and for those that haven't go and do it now please Um, right, shall I introduce today's guest? Let's do it. James William Walker, otherwise known as Mr. JWW, is an automotive lifestyle and supercar personality and YouTube sensation with over half a million subscribers, more than 100 million video views and hundreds of thousands of social followers. He spends his days driving some of the most incredible and expensive cars on the planet on some ridiculously stunning roads all over the world. He's living every young boy's dream but it comes with a huge amount of hard work and dedication. Let's dive in and hear all about James. James, welcome to the Motormouth Podcast. I like this. I like and this. a round of applause. <laughs> How are you getting on, James? Thanks for coming on. How is uh, lockdown life, this whole new world we're living in, uh, treating you? The new norm. Well, thanks so much for having me on. Um, do you know, it's funny, some days I wake up completely distraught at the fact that I've got to face another day of, of lockdown. But by and large, actually, I think funnily enough, I and many others will probably look back on this actually quite fondly mm. because we've had amazing weather. Um, I'm uh, 16 months into being a dad, so I've been able to be full-time dad, which is incredible. Yeah. And um, yeah, I mean, my, my 
usual lifestyle in terms of travel is ridiculous. I did 80 flights last year. <sighs> and uh, this year, I'll be lucky to do 10. So yeah. I'm actually at home, enjoying my own home. Weather's been great. I'm, I'm exercising more than I ever have done, but I'm making up <laughs> for it and eating pretty poorly. And uh, yeah, you know, all in all, it's, it, it's, not, it's not too bad. But I don't, I don't want to sort of dismiss, obviously, the severity of the situation and why we are in it. Uh, but for me personally, I'm in the middle of the countryside, in the middle of nowhere, and if it wasn't for reading the news, I, I wouldn't know. Yeah, yeah, similar for me. How, how's it affected the channel? I mean, obviously, you haven't been able to get out there as much as you, you normally would. I mean, normally, you'd probably be out there every day. Um, has, does it have an impact on YouTube's algorithms and all that kind of stuff? I mean, my, my, my channel has turned into the YouTube equivalent of Dave. Uh, <laughs> it's just reruns. Right. <laughs> so, so I... Um, you know, when this thing started, I was like, oh, I'm not sure how long this is going to go on for. It'll be all right. You know, I'll just, I'll just do some behind-the-scenes stuff. And then after a while, I thought, okay, this is actually going on for much longer than anticipated. And I thought, I'm really going to have to think outside the box here because you're right, Tim. The algorithms need feeding. Yeah. They, are, they are this hungry beast, and there is no mercy. And unless you feed the beast... Uh, they generally spank you. So I was thinking, okay, how do I come up with some content which isn't just utter dribble? So I ended up, um, I went through my videos and I organized them uh, based on the most views first. Yeah. And then so, and I worked my way through those in most viewed order, telling behind the scenes stories and untold stories of those videos and how they came to be. Yeah. So I just thought the ones with the most views, I, I assume are inherently the most interesting. So why don't I go back and uh, set some further context? And it was actually amazing because I keep everything I film, every single file I've ever filmed. I've got these like ridiculous amounts of terabytes and hard drives. And uh, I sort of went back down in the archives and I found all of this un unshared footage yeah, and yeah. B-roll and stuff, which I'd never shared. So it was nice, actually. I ended up, um, my favorite edit, which I managed to pull out of the bag, I'll preface this with all of the bits to camera that I've been doing have been against my kitchen wall for eight weeks, which has been ridiculous. Um, but I, I put together an hour and 15 minute long special of driving a McLaren F1 across Europe, yeah, um, which actually happened two years ago. And my channel has doubled in size since then. So there was a huge amount of the audience which never even knew I did that. So it was really nice to... Yeah, that's well. nice. Let, let's uh, let's just go back in time a little bit. Yeah, where did this passion for cars come from? Was there was it always there as long as you can remember, or was there a specific time in your life that made you go, "Oh my god, that this is this is the space I want to be in"? Uh, it, it's always been there. Or it's I've always had a fascination. If it had an engine and wheels, I was always interested in it. Um, my my. Uh, uncle, he uh, is still actually a classic Aston Martin uh, restoration specialist. And my first work experience was at his shop uh, installing starter motors on DB4s, DB5s. Uh, my granddad was a classic car salesman, and my dad did a short amount of racing in Formula Ford. Mm. So it's always sort of been in the family. Um, my household as well was the sort of household that always had some sort of motorsport on TV. I grew, grew up with no uh, shared interest in any sort of ball sports at all. 
So I was probably the only person in, in my class at school that, you know, Beckham could kick me in the face and I wouldn't know who it was. Um, and so, yeah, I think from an early age, there was always this interest in cars, uh, but I, I never knew that it would have the impact it, it did. And actually, I, I was actually into motocross bikes first. So when I grew up a bit, around about the age between, I'd say, 15 up to 20, I used to, to race. So I'd race KX125 motocross bikes, got beaten up pretty badly doing that. Um, and then the weirdest thing I did was race quad bikes. I'm not sure if you've ever watched that. Race quads that are That sounds not, dangerous. Sounds it dangerous. Ma- it, it makes motocross look safe. <laughs> wow. But I just thought, oh, it's got four wheels. Like, but they're, un- they're so unstable, aren't they? they? They're so unstable. I've yeah. driven a couple and you get, they scare you as well, they can. If you go over a bump. Oh. Yeah, yeah. Oh, they're, they are nuts. But they're not like a sort of, ATV. It's not like a sort of agricultural farm quad. These things are so low. They've got extended A-arms and big, big diffs, which are to make them really low and wide. Um, but obviously, versus a motocross bike, they're like twice as heavy. They fall out of the sky pretty sharpish. And when they land on you, something's definitely breaking. Yeah. And so that happened a few times. And I thought, I'm going to pack this in. Uh, and it was around about the same time I was learning to drive. And then as soon as I passed my test, I mean, quads and motocross bikes were just at the back of my mind. And that was it. I never looked back, really. And what was your first car? I suppose it, it, it set, the, set the barrier for everything. It was a 2003 Mini Cooper. It was black with a white roof. And Classy. Yeah, I went through three gearboxes in that car. Um, <laughs> Lad. Turns out, even though it was a... At that time, I think it was a BMW owned at yeah. that time, even still. And um, it turns out the first new minis had Peugeot gearboxes in them. Uh, and I went through three of these. Um, I, don't, I guess I was just either really bad at driving or my heel and toe was probably atrocious. And I was like <laughs> slamming gears in and stuff. Um, but yeah, I went through three boxes. Um, it was the car that I had my first crash in, two crashes in, in fact. Um, and uh, I actually tried to buy it back uh, a few years ago, but it turned out someone else had, had had its third crash and ripped oh, it. Oh, no. We should, do some, uh, we should do some car roasting. Have you seen those videos that um, uh, the Top Gear boys are doing over on Drive Tribe where they roast YouTubers' cars? I don't know if, I don't know if yours has been on it, but uh, it was. I, it was, it was. Yeah. So they, they did, I think they did Sam as well. They've done one or two others. But my, what, yeah. Harry, what was, your, what was your first car? My first car was a, uh, a Ford Fiesta um, 1.2 in red. There's nothing you can say about that. No. <laughs> my, my, mine was... I'm onto a Nissan Qashqai, though, so I don't know if that's uh, even cooler. Or... <laughs> my dad has a Porsche, so we're good there. Oh. Uh... <laughs> what was your first car, then? I've never actually known So um, I had a Citroen AX four-speed manual box and followed by a car that I reckon James... One of the few cars that I don't think James would have heard of which is a Subaru Vivio. You heard of that? I, I actually haven't, no. A it's, it's a tiny, tiny little thing. I mean, it's minute. I don't even know. I, they, don't, they won't make them anymore. That was a manual box with a four-wheel drive button on the gear, gear lever. No, no, no. 600, <laughs> 600cc, something like that. Yeah. Struggled to get up hills. Wow. Yeah. Well, James, humble beginnings for you, obviously, with that first car. If we went out to your driveway into your garage now, Slightly what would different. we discover? It's a little bit boring at the minute. I'm going through a a bit of a, a mix-up at the moment. 
Um, I am I am still the owner of a of a Ferrari F12 TDF. Yeah, that's boring. It's not on my driveway. It's not on my oh. driveway because I recently put it up for sale. Actually. Oh yes, I saw. Um, mm. Yeah, which is sad. It's mostly sad because 2020 was supposed to be the year that I absolutely rinsed that thing. Um, but for obvious reasons, everything that was planned with it has been completely canned. Yeah. So, so I've got this car, which I put disproportionate amount of my savings into it, just sat on the drive with no plans at all. Oh. And um, so I thought, well, the chances are I'm not going to get to use it anytime soon. I did some great things with it in 2019. Uh, entered it into the uh, Targa Florio rally and wow. uh, drove it around Sicily and drove it up Mount Etna as well, which is uh, wow. great uh, content from that. But that is now residing uh, in the storage of DK Engineering. So those guys have currently got that for sale. Uh, but there is still a uh, manual Porsche GT3, a 991.2 GT3, and uh, the family car, which is a Porsche Macan Turbo. Very nice. I'm enjoying it. It's a great car. It's good fun. So The, the Porsches yeah. are so hard to keep up with, aren't they, and to, with their numbers. A friend of mine, Darren, I'll give him a little hat tip, yeah. Darren Andrew, he's got a Porsche and he, he knows them all. But it's, it's quite, it must be quite challenging to get your head around all these different types of, of car. It's endless, yeah. I mean, even still, I mean, the, the 991 generation of Porsche, obviously that's been discontinued now, but that was around for seven years. And even when I type the letters 991 in my titles, I always get people commenting going, don't you mean 911? Yeah. You know? <laughs> so it's, it's 991 is the generation. Right. And 911 is the model. So 911 would always exist, but yeah. it would always be prefaced with mm. 997, or at the minute, the current generation is 992. Um, and the, the list goes back and back and back. So, yeah, complex. And then halfway through the product life, they then facelift them, and it's a Gen 2, oh. Dot 2. Uh, yeah, and then they do an RS version. <laughs> oh, it's, <laughs> it's crazy. It's crazy. It's, it's yeah, ridiculous. Yeah. So the, the longest uh, version of, of late is the uh, Porsche 911 GT3 RS Generation 2 Wysak. Oh, Wysak. Catchy. Catchy. Oh, yeah, very catchy. Rolls off the tongue. Yeah. This is really going to come in handy for the quiz later um, <laughs> that I've lined up for you. So it's good that you know the full length of, uh, of these uh, ridiculous cars. Um, but YouTube, let's, let's talk about that because that is where you've made your mark, Mr. JWW. Let's go right back to the beginning. What made you want to start a YouTube channel? You know, what was, what was life like just before you were gearing up to take on and become a, you know, a YouTuber? So I'll... I'll take you back even further because I think it sets a spot of context. Um, so when I was at school, and don't worry, this won't be a two-hour chat. It's <laughs> okay. Harry's editing skills are excellent. How far back are we going? <laughs> I used to film me and my friends skiing and snowboarding. That's where the appreciation and love for film came. Um, I'll also preface it, and this might be an exclusive for you, actually, Ooh. because I haven't actually ever told this story. Um, so when I was growing up, I actually had quite a bad stutter. Like I couldn't say my own name. In fact, it got, it, it was really bad. And, uh, I had all sorts of speech therapy and all sorts of things that didn't work at all. And, um, it wasn't until I found the world of being able to edit that it was the first time that I had control of my voice before anyone else heard it. Right. So my love for film and editing actually came before the cars. It was an opportunity for me to create something, edit it, and, and it be able to go to the outside world in a way that I always wanted it to. But at the time when I was growing up and I was a teenager, I mean, 
I was like the guy at school who had sick notes to excuse me from doing any sort of standing up in front of class or any sort of speeches. Um, not because it was embarrassing, because the, the assembly would be there for three hours while I sort of stuck, <laughs> stuck through it all. Um, and so I found this love for film because I could finally create and say how I would like things to be said. The amazing thing about that is um, I had this psychological switch when I pulled the camera up to my face to start talking because I knew I had control over it. My stutter at that time, I wouldn't say vanished, but it went like 80%. It just sort of went. And uh, and so the, the editing journey, which is, a, again, a, a story I've never shared with, with my audience even, is much more important to me than people might think. Yeah, because that's amazing. Because it transformed my life. Yeah. Um, I was, you know... That is amazing. The day I would... Mate, I couldn't go into a shop and order something. Like, it was, it was, wow. it was that bad, yeah. And how so, old were you around this time? Uh, com- gr- growing up completely all the way up. Yes. When I started editing, it's probably around about 16. Right. 16, 17, 18, when I was, did, when I was doing this, it was just completely uh, changed things. And so my love for it is way deeper than people actually think. So um, that's how that started. But during that, that period at school where it was the odd skiing and snowboarding trip, let's go and film that, me and my friends all passed our driving test and then that was it. Forget skiing, let's, let's film cars. Now at that time, there's no YouTube. Um, you know, if, if we think Facebook really is a 2004. Mm. So 2004 is when I passed my driving test. And I think at that time, Facebook was even still restricted to universities there. So there was no real video platform at that time. So what I was doing was burning it onto CDs <laughs> and giving it to five of my mates and going, wasn't that fun? You know, that was <laughs> it. That's completely where it stopped. Um, then I went to uni. Um, didn't do any more filming then, really. Um, started a, this is as nerdy as it comes, but uh, I started a video gaming web comic uh, where I would uh, write comic strips and that, that would take the piss out of the video gaming world at that time. Uh, and me and a friend of mine from uni did that. It eventually got sponsored by Nintendo. I thought I was going to be a millionaire. That, that didn't happen. <laughs> <laughs> and then left uni, joined the real world for about 10 years. And then this is where it gets nuts. Um, saved up a deposit for my first house and decided to blow it all on an Audi R8. As you do. That, and at that point, it was like, okay, the family's going to disown me here. What are you doing? Is this, you're presumably at this point, you are with the wife? No, 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 no. At this point, I am single. Right. So no one to answer to, no one to go, what the hell are you doing, you mad person? That was the whole reason behind it, right? I sort of worked and saved and those. I think, you know, when you're growing up, particularly in England, it's get on the property ladder, you know, mm, yeah. et cetera, et cetera. And I got to the point where I looked around this house for like third time. And I knew that day that I was going to confirm on this house. And I walked in this door and I was stood in the lounge and something just went in my head. I was like, this ain't happening. I can't take this on a track bit, you know? <laughs> you know? And the Audi R8, the first gen, the 2009 uh, car, uh, had, had launched um, 
for me, the Audi R8 was one of those few cars that aesthetically, at least, really made the industry stand to attention. Because it was like, hold on a minute, you've got this, this, this company, Audi, who's basically known for building good quality reps cars. Mm. All of a sudden has like shown the supercar industry how to build a supercar and arguably as well how to make them look. And it was just so out there, so abstract. And um, yeah, it pulled up my heartstrings way more than the concept of buying this house. And so I went out and I, yeah, I blew the deposit on this car. That Finance. was exceedingly reckless. Exceedingly reckless. <laughs> uh, I mean, any young people who are watching this, planning on buying their first house and are into cars, I'm not condoning this situation <laughs> in any shape or form. In fact, it's, well. it's only one example of hindsight in my life that has worked out uh, because that, that's the car which opened the doors to the car world for me. So when you get a nice car, you feel the, that you're more justified going on interesting road trips with you know, other nice cars. You're going on track days. You're going to car meets, joining car clubs, etc. Um, and through that, it was the induction to the car world, which I always wanted. And that's when I started to write a blog, actually. I, I, didn't, I didn't film at first. I started to write a blog. Uh, the reason being, filming takes so long, and I'm no doubt we'll speak about that shortly. But I still had a full-time job, and I was, I was thinking, okay, at the weekend, this is the only time I, I can use this car, I'll take some nice photos, and I'll write a blog, and then hopefully people will, will read about that. And that's how it started. And it, it wasn't for a long time that after that that I started um, filming cars. Wow. Yeah. Wow. And then that when did when did the journey. transition from writing about cars into filming cars come about? And did you do yeah. the I think I can't remember who we were talking to whether it was Sam or someone else who right back in their early days of YouTube would film outward and not film themselves and film the, the vehicles and then there came a point where they turned the camera around and started talking into the camera. Were you the same? Did you start in that fashion? Um no, I started camera facing first. Um, and I think that was a combination of, I mean, if you look at the, the YouTubers out there in this field, I'm still the last to that party. Yeah. Um, I've been doing it, uh, I think I've been doing it a year less than Sam. Um, and, but compared to like, uh, Paul Wallace and, and Shmi, like Paul's been doing it for 12 years, I think. Yeah. Tim's in his 10th year. I'm just starting my fifth year now. And because I was so late to it, I'd, I'd been watching other people's content and they'd already started speaking to the yeah. camera. But also, I was a big fan of, you know, watching Evo content, the likes of, you know, Dickie Meaden and Jethro Bovingdon and Chris Harris. These guys were already speaking to camera. And I knew the content which I really enjoyed watching. And it wasn't people behind the camera just pointing it at, at cars driving by. It was trying to come up with the most descriptive words possible to put the audience in the driver's seat. Yeah. And, um, yeah, so it was pretty much from day one, actually. Yeah. And those was, those other YouTubers, you know, the likes of, of Paul, Sam, Seb Delaney, and so on, the, these this world that you came into a bit later, yeah. did, did they welcome you with open arms? I mean, you're all very close now. You filmed together some of the time. You know, how was it when you first came on the scene? Yeah, it was great. It was, it was, it was brilliant. I mean... You know, we all often refer to it, in fact, as the sort of good old days because, you know, everyone now has very much gone off in their, their own ways. Um, 
But when it first started, you know, what was great about it was everyone was feeding off each other. We were cross-pollinating audiences. We were doing joint videos where part A would be on someone else's channel and part B would be on someone else's channel. And there was challenges. We would go on an annual road trip every year. It was like, okay, every April, go down to Top Marks, Monaco. That was the, like, kickstart of the car season. Um, and everyone was just so pumped for it, you know? And I think it, at that time, it was it was still so new and none of us really knew where it was going. I mean, I was probably doing it for a good two and a half years before I knew that I could do it full time. So everything I was doing, even though I had a, a commercial mind on for the long run, the interim and, and, and uh, short-term period on the run up to that was very much, well, the chances are this isn't going to be a big deal. So I just want to make the most of it as I can and just have as much fun as I can with some incredible cars. And so at that time, we were, yeah, I mean, myself, Paul, uh, Sam and Seb in particular used to team up a lot. Uh, Shmi dipped in every now and again. Um, and it was, yeah, it was a great vibe. It was, in fact, Tim, uh, Shmi, who was like, "Why? when are you going to get a camera out and start filming stuff? So I know, I've probably known Tim quite a few years prior to me actually starting to film things. And I joined him on the collection of his um, McLaren 675 LT. And he said to me at that time, he was like, oh, you know, if you're going to do it, now's the time. Um, you know, try and get some big, big cars for your first video and just go for it. So I did. Um, and then I saw uh, Sam Fame. <laughs> <laughs> from Seeing Through Glass and uh, Paul Wallace from Supercars of London, we were um, at, oh, what's that car, car show? Salon Privé. Yeah. Mm. And this is off the back of a road trip where I, I crossed paths with them a few, a few months prior. And we were like, oh, how's it going? Everything cool? He's like, yeah, I'm thinking about doing this YouTube thing. And they were like, yeah, just do it. What's the worst that can happen? Just do it. And now it's my entire life. It's It's... <laughs> full-time work uh haven't haven't had a proper job for five years yeah now, so when, when you put yourself out there on you know such a big platform you you inevitably open yourself up to you know lots of comments and youtube comments and social media comments have you had to deal with any sort of you know negative comments or dealing with having that increased social presence is that something you've uh, taken to quite well or have you sort of sort of muddled your way through and, and learning that whole sort of almost like a different world really yeah, man. I mean, um, you know, anyone who's spent any amount of time in the comment section of YouTube knows it can be a pretty dark place. Yeah. Uh, I was really fortunate, and this wasn't a strategic thing. It's just the way it, 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 it played out. When I first started the channel, uh, I was... This game is all about regular content, always. Just connect what's the next video. And I would often uh, get a lot of inspiration for what the next video might be by reading the comments because people in between the you're a moron post, it would, be, it would be, we'd love to see this or can we see that or what about this? So I, I would scroll through and in the very early days when I could get back to everyone, I did. I used to reply to every single comment. The theme being, if you asked a decent question, you would get a decent answer. And after a while, I think me getting back to people with like lengthy, decent like feedback, the audience at that time begin to understand that if their input was good, they would get something good back. And I think with hindsight, 
this is one of the it's one of the reasons where I'm quite fortunate that for for a long time the audience is too big now. Like you just there's no avoiding it. But for quite a long time, the majority of the audience was very mature. And every now and again, even now, when someone chirps in with like a pretty bad comment, I don't have to do anything because the audience who's there just squashes them down. Yeah. And that is hindsight legwork. It was never planned out like that. Uh, but thankfully, as far as comment sections go, mine isn't too dark. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes it's horrendous and you want to throw yeah. yourself out of the top window, but oh, uh, generally it's fine. Yeah. <laughs> and you, you've... Uh, You've had this journey, you've built up your subscriber base, chucked out loads and loads of videos, and recently you started Project 4. Yeah. So tell us about your bunker and your your racetrack on your doorstep. How did this come about? So, um, yeah, the reason it's called Project 4 is I set myself a goal of every year on the channel uh, doing at least one big thing. And because... Thing isn't a very descriptive word for a, for a project. I, did, I decided calling these things projects. And half of the uh, strategy on YouTube is the tease. It's the build-up. It's the awareness. It's what's coming next, right? Um, and so calling projects, project one, project two, project three, et cetera, was, okay, I've started the, the legwork on project four. Something big is coming, you know? And that's where these, these projects... Uh, status is started. Um, project four, as it would suggest, is the fourth one of these pretty major projects. Um, the idea was that I've never had, so I never start a video from my own house. I've always kept my personal life offline, um, mostly because it's a car channel and I'm, I'm not like, this is what I had for lunch. You're not today a transformer. Like that. Isn't, yeah, it's just not that fun. Um, so because I've never started a video from home, I've never had a base of which to do a walk and talk around the car that isn't an empty lay-by or an abandoned car park, which we all know empty lay-bys are never empty for long. Mm. And abandoned car parks look crap. So <laughs> every time I would start a video, I'd be walking around it and some motorbike could blast past and like cock up that, that take or the backdrop just looked now. I literally, I remember, and it was at this point, I was like, I need to address this. The only place I could find, because these cars that you drive, they're never on your doorstep. They're anywhere but. I remember borrowing a 360 Challenge Stradale at the, the beginning of last year. And um, the only place I could find was a lay-by with like a skip in the background that's full of abandoned trash. <laughs> and I did the juxtaposition between a 360 challenge <laughs> yeah. to Dali, this skip. glamorous brand that I'm trying to build <laughs> and this like skip with this crap falling out of it. So I was like, I need a base, man. So um, yeah, project four was all about, I need us a JWWHQ in which to begin reviews from. Um, and so the idea was really at first to just have a studio the thought of having my own racetrack was never a part of the equation. I mean, who, who does that, right? Who goes, do you know what I need? It's my own studio. And basically I, I need top gear. Yeah. Um, and then as I started to look for studios, um, I came across a place called Vista Heritage. Uh, anyone who's, who's never been to or heard of Vista Heritage, it is a uh, World War II. In fact, I, it, might, it might actually date back to World War One, but certainly 
World War II base. Uh, it's World War it One. It's it is World War One. Yeah. World War, wow. Um, yes, and um, it's an airfield. So it has an 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 outfield of that airfield, and outfields are great for cars. <laughs> so. Um, they had a space there on site. Uh, so I am in an old ammunition store. Cool as cool anyway. So the whole thing is like exposed brick and it's got so much history and character. Backdrop's beautiful. There's all gorgeous trees and old, old military buildings. So I don't have to park a Ferrari next to a skip anymore. Um, the bonus was they've got this, basically it's an outfield, but it can double as a circuit. And no one's really using it. Uh, there are other people on there. So Vista Heritage has curated this amazing place where everyone who has um, rented buildings there is in some way associated with cars, the majority of them restoring classic cars. And the most that that track really gets used is when somebody has rebuilt a Bentley blower, they go out and do a shakedown lap, make sure it's cool, and then that's it. And so I was like, well, if I can get in there, and negotiate use of that track. I've got a studio with a track on my doorstep, and that uh, yeah signed the deal on that uh, in December nineteen after after wow. parking the three sixty by skip in. I think it was February nineteen by by the end of the year it was done, and here I am with a studio on a perfect a so you basically have created your own Top Gear. Yeah. Inadvertently, I now have my own Top Gear, yeah. That's so cool. It's funny because I never even thought about it at that time. It was just like, oh, putting these two and two together sounds cool. And then when I announced it, everyone was just like, oh, you've gone and got yourself your own Dunsfold. Ah, like, oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's pretty cool. That's so, not bad at all. Okay, I've got a question for you. Two-part two question. Um, and give me the first part of the question in no particular order. With Not okay. a favorite first. So first part of the question your three-car garage, go. Ultimate three-car oh, garage. Mate, this is like, how would you do, how would you do that to a car guy? That's, that's yeah. correct. <laughs> um, I mean, I get, you're evil, man. The second three part's even guy. worse. Okay, so so three three-car garage. The first car, I'm going to say, is a little bit subjective because it doesn't, strictly exist yet <laughs> but we know it'll be here but the aston martin valkyrie yep. has a bit of me written all over it um it strikes me as being our this generation's mclaren f1 um and you know a car designed by adrian newey yeah it's always going to be special one of you know one of formula one's greatest if not the greatest aerodynamicist uh you know certainly sets Mere light and the fact that it has a naturally aspirated V12 that revs to 10 also also that does well. Uh, fun fact around that car, it you would be in the top 10 uh, qualifying times of the Formula One grid last year on road tires. Jesus with that car. Christ, so, that's insane. Well, that would be interesting. And then um, uh, that on, that's a video waiting to happen. Yeah, yeah. That'll, that'll be part of the plan for next year. Nice. <laughs> um, and then um, the other one, McLaren F1 LM, I would say. I would say GTR, but I like the LM is still for the road, but track bias. That yep. would be cool. Obviously, fantastic history there and et cetera. And then I know there's lots of other Piper cars and stuff out there, but you've got to have a Porsche 911 in there. Yep. And uh, for me, a 
manual GT3 is pretty good. That ticks lots of lots of boxes. Yeah, I no. think I think that'll be a popular choice. Se- You're sec- gonna hate the next yeah. part of this. Second part of the question: You've got to give two of them back. What? What would you keep? <laughs> Who does that? <laughs> okay, I'll, okay, I'm going to give back the Valkyrie and the GT3 because. This is the only reason, because the McLaren F1 has three seats, so it's still remotely practical. <laughs> you can get the kid in there. The wife is perfect. Yeah, go shopping. I don't know how much of a boot it's got. Uh, what have you? I don't know how much of a boot it's got for the shopping. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Why do you know? There's, there's like side pods that, that fall out of the F1, and they've got like bespoke baggage that's made for them. There you go. I'm, so I managed to do a week-long road trip in a McLaren F1, with wow. my bags in the F1. So it's not bad. It's not bad. <laughs> what have you driven then, or what have you not driven that you would like to drive then? Is that, is, you take, I suppose it's the Valkyrie. That's a cool question, man. Well, let's talk about cars that actually are driving. That exist. Yes, let's, yeah, let's put that. that yeah, there you go. Not, not quite strictly there yet. Um, that's a good question, actually. Car, this is, I've never driven a, a Ferrari F50. I would love oh. driving F50. Yeah, no experience one of those yet it was supposed to be part of this year's content plan but obviously the out the window <laughs> things have been have been set back I, I started a series which was project two actually uh, which was the modern classics uh, mm. series and uh, season two was this year I think it will still happen uh, but an F50 yeah it's certainly mm. on the uh, cards there That's yeah. cool. oh, nice um, and we've classic. mentioned YouTubers galore so far but do you have a best buddy out of all of them Best buddy. Bearing in mind, they all do listen to this week in, week yeah. out. So, uh... <laughs> you know what? The Sam and Paul combo is great. I mean, I don't, I don't, I know that's like that's a cop out answer, but I do enjoy it when the three of us go on our little hot hatch tour, you know, yeah. style videos. That's good fun. And I think everyone's personalities and backgrounds are so different that it makes for a really great time. Yeah. You know, both on camera and off. I think, yeah. It's, yeah. So that, that, that combo. Yeah. So, uh, Paul Fane. <laughs> <laughs> Paul Fane. Now, very important part of the interview here, my friend. Um, this yeah. is the bit I've been looking forward to because, as you know, we've had Seen Through Glass, Sam, yeah. on the show. He took part in our, our quiz, Motormouth. So I shall hand over to my esteemed colleague to introduce you to the hardest quiz in motorsport. Over to you, Harry, old boy. Yes. Music, Mr. JWW James, welcome to Motormouths, the hardest quiz in motorsport. Uh, and we have a we have a grid technically of over over twenty uh, guests so far, making up the leaderboard at the moment. Uh, Martin Plowman is at the top with thirteen points, just ahead of Brendan Hartley. Uh, seen through glass, uh, you'll be pleased to hear is. Uh, 15th on the leaderboard. He scored nine points. So basically, this is how it works. I've got four clips to play you. And uh, every game changes depending on the guest we have. So every question is about you. Uh, And I've taken, I've gone through your YouTube, and I have taken a few clips from various videos uh, and put them out of context. And I would like you to then please put them into some context uh, for some points, basically. And if you can get the full title, as you have labelled it, of the YouTube video, that is also a point. There's four of them, and then a bonus question. Are you ready for your first clip? 
we, we we thought it'd be unfair to give you hardcore Formula One questions at this point. Yeah. You know, I think yeah. this is what this we probably only had one or two that haven't been motorsport necessarily related. So you, yeah. you're already in a good position here, right, um, Harry uh, James? Here comes clip number one. Uh, this is my family daily driver shopping cart. Everything to everyone. I I beat this thing, and it isn't. It's not really looked after. Okay, An so, easy one to start off with? Yeah. yeah I think so. Um, so do you need the context? So what are you, what are you talking about first? Right. So, so that is talking about cleaning my Porsche Macan, uh, which, as, as I mentioned in the video, is our, our family car. It is heavily neglected. Unlike the other cars that I feature on the channel, it's often covered in dirt and grime. Um, but um, I took it to NVN London. Uh, that is a... a, sort of a paint protection film and detailing place, which I'm in, involved in. And we have recently introduced a uh, cleansing strategy that involves the use of ozone gas. Yes. I believe the title <laughs> of the video is... Here we go. This is a hard bit. Disinfecting my Porsche McCann turbo. It's close. I'm going to give you that. It wasn't disinfecting. It was decontaminating. Okay. But you're pretty much there. You're pretty much there. All right, that's a solid start. That is three points on the board so far. So you're already not last. You're already ahead of Karun Chandog, who did appallingly. Um, so, Shame, shameful all right, performance Tim, from him. Let's have clip number two. Here it comes. 6.3 litre, naturally aspirated V12, connected to a twin clutch seven speed automatic gearbox, putting it into sport, and importantly... That's all you get. Now, so what are you talking about there? Can you, you see, think of the car you're talking about? There's quite a few cars with a naturally aspirated uh, V12 <laughs> mated to a seven-speed twin-clutch gearbox. Putting it into sport would suggest that it's a Ferrari. Um, is, it, does it, is it a Ferrari looser? Yes. Looser? Yes, absolutely. Okay, so I've driven a few of these, though. <laughs> Uh, can so, you get uh, a little hint is it's yeah. it's one of the more recent uh videos right, right. so so it's um ferrari gtc4 luso v12 my, <clears throat> time to buy my next daily driver Absolutely spot on. Yes. <laughs> the more we do this quiz, the more tense it gets. Honestly, it's, it's, it's giving me heart palpitations. That's another three points in the bag. If you get another three in this next one, you'll be level with Sam. So okay. it's all to play for at the moment. Right, clip number three, please. Here we go. Granted, under circumstances, I didn't expect until this time next year. So I'll be straight up front here. Um, when I originally bought this car, I did sort of lay out for myself a three-year ownership plan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This one is quite recent. Mm. So, in fact, we spoke about this at the beginning of we the... We did, indeed. Yeah. Uh, that is the video where I am I am explaining why I'm doing the controversial move, putting my F12 TDF up for sale. Yes. Um, the title of it is... <laughs> my Ferrari F12 TDF is for sale. <laughs> Is there anything else to that, do you think? Here's why. Yay! 
Absolutely. Wow. Okay. You're level. You're level uh, with Sam yeah. now. So the only way is up. The only way is up. Okay. Great final tune. clip for you. And then we've got a bonus question. But here's your final clip. I like this one because you can hear an engine. So there's been a few occasions lately um, where I'm quite literally stuck for words. Then that's it. <laughs> You're quite literally stuck for words. I mean, I've driven some cars, but... This one's mm. pretty out there. Oh, that said too much. Oh, lads, this is difficult. This is difficult. Okay, so... Oh, this quiz in motorsport. Do I get any form of clue on this? Or, or, or can I ask a question yeah. that might prompt something? Okay, you can ask, you can ask you can a question. Ask a question, yeah, go on. Whether we answer it or not is, is to our discretion. Okay, okay, okay that, that's fine. Does it involve... A, a car that would otherwise not be on the road? Yes. So it's an Aston Martin Valkyrie. Uh, no. It's, oh. it's, it, it, it is a car that can go on the road. Okay. But it's a... You, Whether it's road legal or not. I'm not I, it is. Sure. It is. Oh, it is. Okay. But you wouldn't ordinarily see it on the road. Okay. Is it, is it an Aston Martin Vulcan? No. No, I'm out there. I don't oh, know. Oh, no. Don't know. Come okay. on. Come on. You, you can get... We'll give you one last chance. One, I, I'll give you one more clue. You get one clue. You've asked the question, now you get one clue. So this, uh, in the title of the video, and I'm pretty sure is how long ago the video is, uh, it dates back to 2016. It gets a lot of attention. Good God. Okay. Uh, that is... Going far... Okay, 2016. What was bonkers in 2016? And it is bonkers. It's completely bonkers. Okay, so this is a, the carbon fibre Batmobile. <laughs> He's onto it. Mate, I can't recall titles from 2016. This is nuts. <laughs> uh, uh, <laughs> Any guesses? It'll... It, <laughs> It's something like Team Galag, Batmobile, Gumball 3000, something like that. You know what? I'm going to give you the point for that. I'm not going to give you the full three no, points. No, can't give him the full three points. I'm going to give you two points. I'm going to give you two for that. That so didn't, um, solid effort. didn't Seb Delaney crash that? I don't want to bring up old... But... Seb did. Sorry, Seb. Yeah, Sorry, Seb. Seb crashed that last year sometime. Ago. Bad times. He was fine. He was fine. Yeah. Are you ready for your bonus question? I like this game. It's cool. Okay. So, as of today, that Gumball video with the Batmobile is your most popular video on your YouTube. But how many views, approximately, does it have? I think you'll get this. It begins... Is it 4.2? Going to take that? (laughs) What do you think? I think that's close enough. All right, I'll give it to you. 4.3, I'll give it to you. <laughs> All 4.3. Right, that was, and well, that was very well done. All right, let me, let me just do the math. While you're clocking up, the second most popular video was the, um, the one in Razzle Kamer, right? That's correct. That we it both was. did um, yeah. with, uh, was with Ollie Webb. Yeah. That was incredible. Yeah. That road. I think, you were the f- I think that was the first time, a U- I'm pretty sure it was the first time a YouTuber drove and exposed that road. 
Um, yeah, it's been amazing um, since then, dude. I'm not sure if you've had any feedback on this, but the amount of car brands which have launched cars there since that is ridiculous. Yeah, Alpha did it, didn't they? Yeah, Alpha did it. I know BMW have been there, Rolls have been there, Bentley have been there. Um, yeah, not always, uh, you know, fully open house. They've been there for like photo shoots and things. But uh, yeah, it really put that on the map. It did. Jebel Jace yeah. in Razzle Kamer. 30 odd kilometers of unbelievable yeah. driving road. Anyway, well, this. More, more importantly, Harry, um, tell us, tell us where the Where do you results. think you've come on the leaderboard? So, how many, how many. So, there's 13 points up for grabs. 20 people okay. on the board. 20 people um, on the board. Sam is 15th. I think you've beaten him, smashed him. I'd like to be, I'd like to be in the top five. Ooh, punchy. Well, there are two leaderboards. There's the overall leaderboard and then the season three leaderboard, which is where okay. we're in season three now. Okay. On the overall leaderboard, you have scored, Mr. JWW, 12 points, which puts you third. Oh, podium. Overall leaderboard, just below Brendan Hartley and ahead of Ollie Webb. Hey, yes. And on the overall season three leaderboard, that puts you second point. Well done. So third overall, second in season three. That is a solid job. Well done. Is is there going to be some sort of finalist thing? Well, well, that's the thing. We're trying to figure that out. Two people have asked that that now. Yeah. And I feel like perhaps because this is episode 30, it's a round number. Maybe we should do a sort of, you know, uh, a final shootout amongst yeah. the top, the top ten mm. overall. That'd be cool. We need mm. to do something. Clearly, James is up for it, so it's all to play for, really. You're yeah. in good company, actually. You have got Ollie Webb, Mark Priestley, Mark Blundell, Jenny Gow, Crofty, Will Buxton, Ola Rowland, Sebastian Buemi, all up there with you. So David, you've even beaten David Coulthard. So uh, not too shabby at F1 all. F1 royalty, um, James. Um, Let's uh, take your current YouTube self. Um, mm-hmm. You're looking back at your 2015 YouTube self. What would you tell 2015 JWW um, that you could maybe avoid a pitfall or, or progress quicker or do something different? What would you tell yourself? Anyone would think you'd have done this before, like 30 <laughs> times before. Good, good questions. Uh, the first thing I would say is... Um, take the first few years way more seriously because the first few years for me were what exciting cars can I drive this Saturday? That was, that was about it. So if I'd have dedicated more time to it in the first couple of years, um, I would have progressed things further. And secondly, don't worry if your video gets terrible views because yeah. it is old news tomorrow yeah. and you, uh, yeah, every video you know, the funniest thing is you'll put so much time and effort into filming a video that you think is brilliant it'll do okay or it'll flatline but regardless of if it's amazing or brilliant you guarantee one of the first few comments is what's next yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. so it doesn't really matter um, just move on so yeah persistence go harder earlier and don't worry about views yeah great answer and th- yeah. obviously this is a uh, essentially a motorsport uh, podcast i mean we we yeah. delve into all sorts of different areas so we've got to ask you a little bit about motorsport formula one what, what's your take on formula one is it something you enjoy watching do you like the current era do you hark back to the good old days through rose tinted glasses yeah i do sorry i'm that guy mm-hmm. i am the naturally aspirated era guy um i think i had a 
I mean, you know, it's, it's incredibly fortunate experience, but I was very lucky to go to the last uh, naturally aspirated race in Monaco and then the first of the turbocharged races. Uh, the last race, I was invited down to the tunnel, inside the tunnel, by the owner of the Fairmont Hotel, which is where the, the cars, you know, pass underneath. Yeah. And to be, I was stood next to the marshals, which are basically trackside inside a, a tunnel. I'm yet this day to experience a, an emotion surrounding a car that I'm not, not driving, spectating, that has literally given me tingles and goosebumps and made me emotional to the point of it affecting me. You know, mm. um, and then the following year, it was the polar opposite. I was on uh, Raskas Corner. Uh, once again, had very privileged access. I was on the apex of that corner. It was it was me and some chicken wire fence between me and the drivers, and they'd gone turbocharged, and it, it was just like a Dyson coming past. Like I just, <laughs> it's a just, great um, description. <laughs> yeah, and I was, I was so, I felt like someone had ripped my Formula One heart out. Yeah. Because it's not that the racing is any worse. In fact, I think last season was actually pretty good. Um, it's that the physical connection between the spectators and the sport is that the engine sound used to vibrate the diaphragm in your chest physically. And so you literally had a tangible connection between mm. the race that you were observing. And I think, you know, that sound and that energy conveyed so much power and so much about, it represented the, that it was the pinnacle of motorsport because it sounded the pinnacle of motorsport. Now the support race sounds better. Yeah. And regardless of if it is or isn't, it's a spectator sport. It's there for entertainment. And I've just lost the true uh, passion, which I did have for it. I mean, you're that not being said when those titles come on and I'm watching it at home, it's still top tier. It's still for one. Yeah. yeah. And I love, interestingly though, now I, I enjoy the buildup and behind the scenes of the race as much as I do the mm race itself yeah it, it, it is fast the whole circus is fascinating is it when did it, how are you you'll probably know when, when did it switch over to from um when did it switch over to the the hybrid era 2014 well, actually, i was gonna say this has made me think actually it's slightly different obviously i was i went to my first grand prix ever just as a punter in the stands in 2013 uh to the british grand prix and that was the final year yeah. of the v8 engines and I remember being there and you could literally not sit. You could be sat far back in the stands and you still had to have, you know, you had to have earplugs. Yeah. You had to. And even if you walked further away, right from the entrance of the gates to Silverstone, they would be, you know, almost deafening. And then since then, I've been back and I've been, been lucky enough to, to work in it in, on the paddock and actually being on the grid at one point in 2016. And you don't need, and you don't need earbuds. You don't need yeah. any of that. And no. it's just you can have a chat. You, know, the cars you can have a conversation. Can look as cool as they like, but 
it's just this it's not yeah. the same it was a, the same. it was a it was a huge shame when it all changed like i've worked in mm. f1 for 15 years now showing my age and i, I remember when it I, I can't remember the exact year whether it's well it was 2013 into 2014 right yeah so and, and i remember the reaction everyone just fell flat you know it's just like this just isn't the same you don't get the tingly feeling on the back of your neck the hairs don't stand up it's it's just not the same um and they've got a bit louder since haven't they but it it's a real yeah, pity you used to it though after a while i think you just learn to sort of yeah, live with do, it yeah. It's yeah. not the worst thing you can do is is go to the festival of speed and hear the old the old cars. Oh, go up the hill. unbelievable! Because it just punches you in the face as to how incredible. Yeah. Now, of course, you, you've actually driven a Formula One car back in what, 2012, wasn't it? In the, the Lotus Renault car. The 2012 what, what car. What was that like then? Being actually, you know, in the cockpit for a change, and you know, the V8 and a V8 engine car. Hey, I can't. This is a podcast in itself, man. <laughs> no, I'm dead serious. I mean, at some point... Wow, I bet I can imagine. ...do the uh, chat, but um, I cried when I stepped out of that car. It was wow. just... I actually mm. did cry. I'm not, I'm, I'm not afraid to admit that. It was just um, probably, you know, death without exception, one of the top five life experiences. Mm. Um, and um, what I think what was... There's so many facets to this, and at some point we should probably have a chat about it. But uh, I think one of the, the elements which was highlighted to me the most was, and this might be stating the obvious, uh, the performance of those things is beyond my vocabulary to try and describe to you what is going on with those cars. Car isn't a word you should use with it because it's like... <laughs> it's, feels like a science project that just so happens to have wheels. Yeah. Um, the downforce, wow. I mean, I've... I've driven some pretty downforce heavy cars. Uh, I had to lean my head on the cowling on the, the second lap because my neck just collapsed. Yeah. <laughs> um, oh, I mean, man. I had nowhere near the ability to drive the car to, you know, I was probably driving this thing 10%. And I'm, I'm just being honest, you know. Um, and But one thing I did have the ability to do was press the brakes and there is no words to describe to you the braking force of a car in its initial bite under full down force on hot slicks is well my my at the bottom of my helmet touched my chest because it forced my face forward so much <laughs> that i was locking out of the visor like this you know like out, outwards yeah um i remember the bruising when i came back in like from the harnesses when you get in these cars i mean it wasn't a, a case of hey just come down and drive a formula one car the amount of hoops that i had to jump through in order to do it was fairly substantial i had to go to some uh, simulator training uh that i had to uh i did paul ricard i did 30 laps in a formula renault that was the most of all of the training through the classroom classroom and theory and simulators the seat time in the Formula Renault was disproportionately the most it's a lot of valuable laps. time um, because it was a taste of you know, fairly substantial downforce, but not quite of you know Formula levels. Um, but they, the Renault F1 team, and that was the best part about it was it was a fully factory supported experience. It wasn't some dude who owned an old F1 car. This was Kimi Räikkönen's 2012 car. Uh, it was the uh, chassis that I think he won Yaz Marina with it. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it wasn't, I mean, some people were like, oh, they must have down-tuned it. And this, no, it revved to 15,000 RPM. And it was 
uh, at 780 horsepower. And, it, you know, it, it, it idled at 6,500 RPM. The stuff that really um, highlighted to me the most was how TV does quite a bad job of conveying to the audience how extreme that sport is. Mm. Um, and I think what is quite interesting is most of the people that communicate this sport to us are XF1 drivers. And what you'll find that they do is they'll start talking amongst themselves. And what they say, they, they express it in a very casual manner in the, oh, he just braked at 100 yards doing 170 miles an hour. You know what I mean? And to put context into that, the amount of data points that I asked for after it, just to give some sense of context. So in an F1 car, it's left foot braking only. Um, certainly I would actually describe it as left leg braking because the amount of force you have to apply through the pedal um, was the, the minimum brake pressure that they wanted me to apply. This is every corner. I think Paul Ricard has over 17 corners. Um, was 65 kilograms of pressure on my left leg alone every single corner. It's quite a lot. And I thought, wouldn't it be great if we could get in some normal person from the crowd, for argument's sake, and go, whatever... Um, circuit they were at on that given day, say for argument's sake, it had 15 corners, get them in on a leg press with yeah. 65 kilogram weight and say, okay, we would like you to, to bench press all 15 corners for yeah. us just on your left leg alone. Yeah. And then, okay, and they'll, even if they can do one lap, then multiply that by how many laps you have during that race. That's just one element of it. I mean, you know, I don't think we appreciate no. These guys are ninjas, man. Like the guys driving these cars are of a different species. With disproportionately strong left legs. But it, that's a really interesting yeah. point you make about the commentary. I've I've never thought about the commentary like that before, but now you say it, it, it it's very true. They they do sort of off the cuff casually just talk about that braking and the speed. Mm. It'd be nice to have someone there to go, that's ridiculous. Um, it, it, I suppose. Really I suppose yeah. Will Will Buxton, who we had on here a couple of weeks ago, he's quite good at that, you know, because he he breaks it yeah. down into into layman terms in a sort of descriptive fashion. Yes. Now, listen, we're running out of time, so we're going to chuck yeah. some some yeah. quick questions at you before we move on to our our final three, which we ask everybody. Um, right, one word answers on these two questions: Formula E, yes or no? Yes. Interesting, interesting. Um, and is esports or virtual racing a valid form of racing? Yes or no? No. <laughs> oh, we could delve into that so deeply. Um, I, I would also <laughs> I, like. I did just chiming in briefly. That I did. I was on the phone actually to um, uh, Nikki Shields earlier today, and we were chatting about uh, what we thought of the the virtual e racing on Formula E and Formula One. And as as entertaining as it can be, I think we both agreed that. Just doesn't do it, you know. It just doesn't well, do it. Yeah. All the drivers are starting to pull out now because they make one well, little mistake mm. and they they lose their yeah. real world drive. There's been so much controversy surrounding that. What I will preface that with is, is while I don't think it's a form of a valid form of racing, it's a very it's a very intense game. Yeah. I'm not I'm not yeah. you know, darts is a game as well, but it's serious, right? I mean. Don't underestimate the scale of the guys who are. Yeah, the pro sim races. Yeah, These guys are incredible. I think Daniel App proved that. Wow, <laughs> <laughs> drivers are serious. Yeah. Um, what What are you rubbish at? 
Sim driving. Excellent. <laughs> oh, brilliant. <laughs> well, all right. Do you have any um, any hidden talents that uh, we might not know about? Either you know, it could be non completely non car related. Uh, ta- oh God, no. I mean, I played guitar for fifteen years, but Ooh. more as a more as a sort of thing that I would on a rainy day pick it up and have a shred. Yeah. You know? So I wouldn't I wouldn't necessarily class it as a a talent as such. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> um, what does uh, you know? Difficult times at the moment, obviously. But what, what's the future saying for your for Mr. JWW on YouTube? Um, I think you know, going back to the the whole project thing, I really want to just step it up. Every single year, I'm trying to do bigger and better projects. So I think the meat of the channel will effectively stay a similar format in that I'm, you know, I'm hopefully bringing the audience great insights into the latest, greatest cars and equally some nostalgic stuff with, with modern classics. Um, but I think around that it's every year it's about trying to, you know, step it up, step it up with various different projects. Uh, another exclusive for you, really, uh, the projects I'm working on are now go up to number 11. So that's sort of how far we're thinking. Wow. That won't be 11 years' time. There'll be a few, you know, each year. But, um, yeah, it's all about, you know, try, trying to evolve the channel to offer things which aren't being offered elsewhere uh, and ultimately making it, you know, giving s- solutions and content to the audience, which, which otherwise don't exist or will improve their, their sort of viewing experience. So. If if someone you know like Top Gear or something similar came along and gave you a call and, and asked you to be a part of it, would you would you go off and do that? Um, yes, but the really important thing here. So I actually had a chat with uh, Top Gear. Um, yeah. When they went through that big shakeup, when yep. Jeremy was punching people, and um, <laughs> the they they lay out very early on that whatever I'm doing now has to stop. So, and then if you think, okay, this might be a Chris Evans situation where you've, you've canned your, everything that you've built, your whole YouTube, the brand, everything, uh, you can't associate that anymore. You do Top Gear for a whole year, which is actually six episodes. And then second season, they go, oh, sorry about that, mate. Then you've just let your brand die over six episodes of nothing. Yeah. yeah. So I would absolutely do it and it would be fantastic to do it with the preface that I was still able to keep my yeah. YouTube brand going because it would be suicide not to. Mm. There you are, yeah. Top Gear. There's there's the contract rules. There's the clauses. Yeah. There's the terms non-exclusivity. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Shall we move on to our final three, Harry old boy? Let's do it. And um, do you want to kick off for me? I'll go. I'll go. I, always forget. We, I always forget which way we do this. I'm going to go for the, the middle one first, just to mix oh, it up right, a little okay. bit. Um, if not YouTubing, what would you be doing? Watching YouTube. <laughs> There's not much money in that, though. So, <laughs> no, I, I don't know. I would like to think it was something to do with cars. Although, you know, even though my, like, sort of number one core love is cars, as mentioned at the very beginning, you know, the revelation of film and editing for me, I'd probably be, be probably behind the camera more. Mm. Probably be producing car content yeah. or car shows. 
Yeah. I just remembered, so, sorry, just going totally off topic. Something just popped into my mind when you, meant, when you mentioned cameras. When we were in Razzle Kamer filming and we got to the top of Jebel Jace and the sun was going down and we had the McLaren, the Ferrari and the, the W um, Motors, yeah. was it the Lycan yeah, or that? Would it? And, and then your, your camera broke or you dropped well, it? I, I left it on the, on the roof of the 650S and drove off. That's right and smashed it to bits in the dark at the top of a mountain pass. Oh. And we managed to persuade the police that closed the road for us <laughs> to sweep the road with their lights on for me to find it. Imagine that, a 30-mile Wow. Road. Yeah, and we found it. And, um, yeah, that was Re- it. Rescued the footage. That video led to 2.7 yeah. million views. It was yeah. all on that memory card. Oh, wow, yeah. amazing. Question number two, right, well, then, over to um, you. What's got you excited at the moment? Coming out of lockdown. Yeah. <laughs> Coming out of lockdown, getting back to a scrap of normality. Uh, that's exciting. Yeah. Uh, just just driving cool cars again. And I mean, you know, as great as it has been being at, you know, being at home, full-time dad and all that, that sort of jazz, work is, it, it's more than paying the bills, isn't it? It gives you mm-hmm. a sense of worth and it gives you a sense of purpose. And um, I think going back out and doing it and creating uh is it feels good man feels good so sunshine end of lockdown and cars that's what i'm excited about awesome nice our third and final final three question our third and final final question of the three questions (laughs) what what are you scared of scared of you can get as philosophical as you like here by the way yeah, okay, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say something which is people are going to Google this afterwards. Um, I'm getting my phone ready. And it turns out this is a real thing. Um, it's called submechanophobia. Sub- and it is the fear of machinery submerged in water. So underwater machinery. So right? su- sub- um, submarines. Oh, mate, forget it. But, like, <laughs> I think the worst thing would be to fall in, like, the behind an oil tanker. Like, oh, oh my God. That's so specific. That just scares the hell out of me. That's yeah, yeah, yeah. Just machinery underwater scares the hell out of me. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Is, is that just... Uh, have you had any experience? Because, no, that's just something know. that's formed in your brain. Yeah, I, I don't know. It's yeah, something in my brain. I don't know. Yeah, some people don't like spiders, you know. Yeah. They, they, because it's got eight legs. I, I don't know, man. It's just... Yeah. Uh, wow. Just I think that's the first for us. I def- <laughs> that is definitely a first. <laughs> Being completely honest, mate. You know, yeah. a fear of underwater machinery. Yeah, it's called submechanophobia. I mean, to be fair, to be fair, I wouldn't want to fall behind an oil tanker either. No, but, but you could uh, go in a submarine. <laughs> would you go in a submarine, wouldn't yeah, you, Harry? Honestly, like, yeah. Of, yeah. Like, even just falling into like a commercial Docklands, that that's that it. worries you. Mm. <laughs> this is amazing. Yeah. yeah, very specific. It's very niche. I there we go. Yeah, I like that. I like it. Yeah, yeah. Oh. So I, I, you were probably expecting like crashing my car or something, weren't you? But no. no, no. Well, some people can be very philosophical, but I think that was uh, that was that was a nice one. Listen, Mr. JWW, thank you so much for coming on to the Most Mouth Podcast. It's been an absolute pleasure to chat with you. Thank you so much. It's been, it's been, it's been brilliant and uh, hopefully we can see each, each other face to face at some point. Thank you so much for listening to the Motormouth Podcast. Do make sure you give us a follow on our socials, Twitter at Motormouth underscore Instagram at Motormouth underscore official and on Facebook 
Just search Motormouth. You can download the Motormouth app where you can get exclusive video content from MMTV, create your own social profile and interact with others and check up on all the latest happenings with whatever motorsport takes your fancy. Don't forget to like, subscribe and review. And until next time, you've been listening to the Motormouth podcast. We here at Motormouth are a small, independent team. Since starting this podcast just over a year ago, we're reaching over 15,000 of you across 30 countries around the world. And we want to bring the biggest names in motorsport to you. Find out about their lives and careers and have a chat about whatever is going on in the motorsport world. We are determined to carry on producing these episodes. However, they do come at a cost. From securing guests to equipment and editing software and expanding the podcast and app, That's why we've set up a Patreon page where you can help us to carry on doing what we do. There are three levels at which you can contribute, starting from £5 a month to £10 or £20. Each tier allows you slightly different levels of access. Depending on which one you choose, you can enjoy early access to podcast episodes, exclusive member benefits, merchandise, shoutouts and your chance to feature on one of our shows. Any support you can give us is massively appreciated and will help us grow and continue to bring cool content to race fans all over the world.